This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. The last time I spoke to my next guest, the company that he currently works for was called something different, and the world was a very different place. I'm speaking to Dr. Michael Power, investment strategist at 91 in Cape Town. And when I say in Cape Town, Michael, you are in Cape Town, because normally when I speak to you, you're either in Beijing or some far-flung South American country or in North America, whatever. You're always going out and about, spreading the 91 word and also gleaning information for your employer. But you must be going out of your mind not having flown for, what, a couple of months now? Uh, Actually, I'm finding it rather um, regenerative. It's allowed me to do some very, very proper, deep, big-picture thinking um, and not being overly distracted, although I'm afraid CNN and Bloomberg, which occasionally on in the background, do do that. But nevertheless, um, I've done some really good reading, really good thinking, even some good writing, um, and uh, managed to think a lot through, because I think we are in a period not just of change, but of profound, almost epoch-making change. That requires deep thinking. It really does. I mean, the superficiality of the CNNs and the Bloombergs of this world and the sudden surge in epidemiology experts is all very well. But when you sit down and you say to yourself, well, will we now go back to the old days where we used to save and invest rather than splurge and spend? I don't know, maybe maybe that's just the first manifestation of this extraordinary time. But there are so many other aspects to it. But we have to, of course, to stick to macroeconomics and also the investment sphere. What deep thinking have you done when it comes to the macro side of things? Well, the first thing I realized is that it actually didn't really begin just with uh, the pandemic. Um, And I realized this yesterday when I caught myself saying the phrase, the new normal, um, and realized that I'd applied that phrase to about 17 uh, different circumstances in the last 10 years, and that actually things have been changing Um, but they're probably just going to accelerate in that change as we speak now. Uh, And many of the underlying themes that were developing have essentially been concertinaed and fast-forwarded, and we're going to see the changes that would have happened over a decade um, now happen over a couple of years. And I think that's uh, what is making me realize that uh, being a strategist where you're supposed to consider the long term suddenly find yourself uh, thinking long-term trends that will actually materialize within two years. Okay, if they materialize within two years, can they be undone within a couple of years as well? No, the status quo ante will not be restored. And the idea of undone almost uh, creates the wrong framework for thinking. Yes, there are certain things that will be repaired, um, but uh, undone, I think, is not the case. I think we are seeing uh, ourselves move into a completely new age. Uh, a new age where the concepts of uh, the West, the concepts of democracy, the concepts of capitalism are all going to undergo a, a fundamental uh, change in, in meaning. And uh, it's, a, it's a brave new world. Um, it's, uh, there's not much out there at the moment that um, is fixed. Uh, pretty much everything is fluid. Uh, and you have to, in that very fluid environment, 
start to really stand back uh, and get perspective and make predictions as to, okay, fine, what's it all going to look like 2025 or 2030? A brave new world implies something that is moving humanity forward, but is it, is it a good brave new world or a difficult and potentially disruptive and bad and turbulent new world? Well, if you mean morally forward or, you know, then probably not. Is it going to move uh, humanity to the next stage uh, of its existence? Yes. Um, And uh, do not think of it being a a better new world. Uh, It's a brave new world. Um, Because as soon as you say better, you're bringing a moral judgment into the equation. It's going to be a brave new world. Uh, And that means that certain things that we have taken for granted Uh, certain touchstones, um, democratic, free market, whatever, that we take as red uh, are now going to be profoundly challenged. And quite obviously, for instance, um, you know, big government uh, is another, is a a shining example of that. I mean, the idea that, you know, government could have some sort of hands-off but referee-like role that it just plays uh, in the game, uh, blowing the whistle once in a while, That's completely gone. What do you make of the phrase that's going around that suggests that governments never waste a good crisis? I think that's the phrase. But anyway, whatever the phraseology is, uh, my view is that uh, there are certain opportunistic politicians that are are not wasting this crisis, uh, but to further their own ends, uh, to advance themselves rather than the people that they serve. What do you think about that? Yes, it was uh, Rahm Emanuel, who was uh, Obama's first chief of staff, I think, that came up with the idea of never let a a crisis uh, go to waste. Um, I think that's trying to some extent to put a gloss on on these very fluid circumstances and say some good will come out of it. Um, Again, that's starting to inject some sort of moral um, value into the whole process. I think we are seeing very big changes. Whether they are good or not is almost irrelevant. Uh, the issue is we have to deal with what we, uh, the cards we are going to end up being dealt with. And I think they're going to be very different. They're probably not going to be in uh, suits that are familiar with uh, to us or, or have numbers and faces on the cards that uh, we've seen before. Um, and I think that that's going to really shake things up. I mean, for instance, you know, can the dollar continue to be um, the way that it is, uh, the currency of the world, the default currency, in, in, in the world that is emerging, possibly for a period, uh, a little period longer. But truly, I think its status is starting to be questioned. Uh, I'm not trying to immediately say uh, that we move into a, a world which is dominated by the uh, Remnimbi. Uh, there's one analyst, I think it's Ian Bremer at Eurasia, says that we're moving from a world of G7 to G2 to Z, G0 because there's going to be no uh, single uh, uh, in entity, whether it's a, a nation state or indeed a currency, that will be calling the shots. Yes. The handbooks that have been written over the years, the models that have been constructed over the years when it comes to long-term investing, must be called into question now, I would have thought, given what you've just said over the last few minutes. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, on, on the basis that now uh, in most uh, Western countries, Government uh, spending is over 50% of GDP, and we're including the United States in that category. I mean, there was a time when you know, France was the oddity, and it was 57%, and then everybody else took some sort of perverse comfort that they were only at 40%. 
Well, now everyone is clearly going to be, everyone in the West, broadly speaking, is clearly going to be in a situation where government spending is over 50% of GDP. Can you honestly claim that you are truly a market economy, or at least a free market economy, when government is, is spending more than $1 in two of that economy? I think things are changing. I do not see a, a, a restoration of the status quo ante. I don't see it going back to where we were before. I do see some repair work happening. Um, but what is going to emerge from this is going to be very different, both economically and politically, from that which we have, have grown familiar. Okay, let's use you as a case study. Let's personalise this now, if we can. And you can tell me to go and jump in the lake if I get too personal here. But you are a gregarious character. You like to go out and have a good lunch and have fine food dinner, lunch, whatever it is, in different countries. And whenever we speak off-air, you tell me, Lindsay, I went to this restaurant. Lindsay, I had this experience in whatever country it was. But that has all changed. That has disappeared. Do you think you'll ever go back to that? Or do you think that you yourself will make the decision or the decision will be made on your behalf by your employer that, no, you don't need to go on these aeroplanes anymore. You can do what you've done for the last uh, 60 days of isolation from the comfort of your own own home. And therefore, the it's like a pebble being thrown into a, a mill pond. The, the waves fan out, and the Michael Power waves will fan out millions and millions of times across the globe. I may have said that rather clumsily, but I think you get my point. Absolutely. No, we, you know, we live in the age of, of, of Zoom, and I think that air travel uh, will suffer. In fact, one of my big themes, which I was developing even before the, the pandemic hit, was the concept of cocooning, which is that idea that the outside is becoming uh, more hostile. And I was more thinking in climate terms, which means people are going to spend a lot more time inside, uh, and therefore they're going to make their homes uh, much more versatile uh, so that they can live a full life inside. So you'll have your Spotify or your uh, Ring.com for your security. You'll have tele-religion, tele-gyms, tele-medicine, uh, mm. Um, you're going to have uh, multiple suppliers of, of information and entertainment. You'll be able to do a lot of working from home. Um, I found working from home to be very productive once you get the discipline in place. Uh, yes, you cheat a little bit in the, in the first couple of days, but you soon get into a pattern, soon get into a routine. Uh, and suddenly you start to see things that actually are better um, than they were. And I, that's not to say anything against my colleagues, um, but I am, and I still very much want to see them again, um, but uh, I'm finding that in some areas my productivity, which is really what in the end working, at least when you're still working in, in, in a career, productivity is what it's all about. Um, I think my productivity has actually risen in this period. So I'm, I'm not going back to where I was before. I'm not going back to the way I did things before. Um, yes, there are certain inconveniences which I wish weren't there, um, but now I've decided to make something new of this brave new world. So you've made the conscious decision that you're not going back to the old Michael Power who's been six, seven months away in hotels and at airports and on aeroplanes. Absolutely. Um, although I, I fully expect that uh, conference calls, one-on-one, um, one-on-two, or uh, conference addresses uh, done electronically will become a much larger part of my life. Uh, and I think, to be perfectly honest, that's going to be forced on us over the next six months, uh, just as a matter of practicality, uh, simply because we're not going to be allowed to travel. So the question of not wanting to travel 
Um, but I think that once we establish that it can be done, um, work through some of the technological issues, uh, and and learn how to do it because it does require a different approach, a different skill set. Um, I can see this being uh, a way in which I'm in, in touch with my clients. Let's say in 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 Santiago in Chile, far more frequently than my generally speaking once a year big trip to Latin America in March. Yes. Um, I shall be chatting to them, you know, four or five times a year, uh, and we will set up a program. Uh, a, diary but an annual diary where i shall connect with the client base far more regularly but mostly electronically than i have been doing in the past i took my 11 o'clock break and i went to sit on a bench outside a restaurant very close to my apartment in rotterdam looking out over the river and the proprietor the owner of the restaurant walked past and he said hello Lindsay." and he sat down next to me uh, actually two meters not even one and a half meters i felt quite offended but anyway i said how's it going he says it's difficult. I said, well, are the government helping you? He says, yes, they pay 70% of certain of my staff members that were on a, a contract, not the not the casual ones. But anyway, I have to pay the other 30%. And we chatted and I said, you were doing well before. He says, yes, I was doing really well before. I was servicing my debt and actually making a little bit of money. I said, how long can you last? He said, I can last now till the end of May, then I'll go back to the bank and hopefully they'll help me out. If they don't help me out, then I'll have to close down. And this comes to the question of the V-shaped recovery, whether it be the S&P 500, the FTSE, the JSC uh, All Share Index, or the, the whole world economy, or the W. In other words, the market comes down again a little bit and then rises from the ashes. What do you think, V or W, or another letter? I'm not even sure it's going to be a letter. Um, and that's part of my point being a brave new world, is that I, I think that sort of almost reflexive thinking that's trying to, to color our hopes. I mean, we can deal with a V. We can even deal with a W if we can absolutely believe that it will be a W. Uh, as annoying it will be that you know things fall back again uh, just as they seem to be getting better but i think we need to understand that uh this is going to move in a very different way um this is this is seminal this is you know the probably the great economic event uh other than although maybe it is connected to uh the economic rise of, of china that will happen in our lives and uh, I think we need to understand that, you know, um, uh, for instance, the, the rally that's taken place in the S&P 500, um, you know, there's, there's something reflexive there. Um, and maybe we need to think outside of reflexivity here and understand that a whole new set of circumstances has entered into the equation. I mean, George Soros was the great uh, reflexivity uh, man. But there's something wonderfully contained and circular about his, his logic. And, and I liked it. I broadly brought into it. But if it's no longer circular, and there's a whole new number of players in uh, the process as well, um, it won't be reflexive in the, in the same way as it was in the past. Uh, things have changed, and they won't go back to being the way they were before. It is now for us to try and somehow imagine what, way they will be going on. So whether it's a V, whether it's a W, or whether it's some letter that uh, exists in Sanskrit, um, I don't know. Uh, and I haven't really got a feel for it. What I do understand is that using terminology that we tended to rely on the past um, may not work in the circumstances, or it may work, but we're forcing it to fit. 
the reality is there's something much bigger and much deeper taking place and we need to move beyond just the simplicity of, of a letter v or a letter w things have changed and won't go back to the way they were before is what you just said now that can be interpreted in many different ways within developed uh, markets within developed economies within developed communities versus uh, less developed or developing now the difference between the reaction of south africa or kenya or goodness me any south american country that you, you care to mention versus the united states or a developed european country will be fascinating to see I, I mean, there are obviously going to be different reactions and different outcomes. Very, very much so. Uh, and the one thing um, that I think that everybody is now under no illusion about is that somehow the United States uh, is the great protector. Uh, it has resorted to every man for himself uh, and um, basically to hell with the rest of you. Uh, if if by somehow helping you guys out, um, uh, uh, we can we can somehow perform a global role. For instance, uh, in the, um, the 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 sort of uh, the package that went through uh, Congress and, and Trump signed the the relief package, there was 1.7 billion dollars um, that was set aside for helping other parts of the world. There is not a single person in the White House in the Trump administration who's taken responsibility for thinking how that $1.7 billion might be spent. It is just sitting there on the side. No one's touching it. It's there. It's been appropriated. But at the moment, there's absolutely no idea of how it's going to be spent. And that, that I think that the, uh, the, world, the rest of the world, and uh, you know, there were countries that were moving in this direction anyway, has started to look at the United States in particular uh, in a whole different light. Um, what it's done with the WHO, uh, uh, though there may be some justification for the behavior of the WHO, pretty much no one thinks that cutting off uh, supply of money at this time uh, is a good idea. But what the US is doing is showing uh, a noble uh, country, and I saw that when I uh, heard Barack Obama's uh, endorsement of Joe Biden. There was nobility in what he had to say. Yes. But that's gone. That's gone. Uh, and uh, the, the noble America is no longer there. Uh, it is there for itself. Uh, and it's not thinking much beyond itself at the moment. And I think that, that falling away of the scale uh, scales from our eyes is going to profoundly change the way that virtually every nation, South Africa, Kenya, uh, Argentina, Chile, uh, Australia, Way, the way they look at the world. Um, they're going to be much more, um, dare I say it, self-centred and in some instances selfish. So America first spreads across the globe, in other words? Yes, um, sadly, although I think the Europeans are desperately trying to carry on to some, some sense of, uh, of being global citizens. Um, but I don't think there's much left of that, that, that dream. Is it too early to start talking about um, asset classes, uh, investment opportunities, asset allocation, whether it be within asset classes or whether it be geographical? Too early to start that discussion, Michael? Look, I think, I think obviously, if one wants to go back to you know, the, the, the classic terminology of the past, now is the time to be thinking about capital preservation rather than capital gain. But you're right, beyond that, one has to start eventually coming out of the... Um, uh, the sort of the bunker 
to think about, so where should my capital gain opportunities lie? And I think at the moment, um, you have to be thinking towards Asia. Uh, you really do, whether it's bonds or indeed at some point even equities. Um, the fact that the Chinese stock exchange is not down this year is something that is completely unacknowledged in the Bloomberg's and CNBC's and even the Financial Times. Yes, there's one or two articles, but the, the way in which the narrative, broadly speaking, is written is that we, that dreadful royal we, are all seeing our stock markets fall. Uh, the reality is that the world as a whole, is not always seeing its stock markets fall. Some have seen them rise. The Chinex, uh, the Shenzhen-Shanghai uh, sort of combine of new, new China has seen its stock market rise during the course of the year. And I think that we need to, I mean, I saw just a little microcosm in it. There's Smithfield Foods, which is, you may see as a, as a pork producer in the United States. Yes, I think it's uh, now, responsible Smithfield for 5% of the pork supply for the and, United and, States. And, 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 the, and the, FT, the FT will say this morning that it's the largest pork producer in the world. No, it's not. Hmm. Smithfield is owned by a Chinese company called WH Holdings, I think. WH Holdings has many, many assets outside of Smithfield producing pork. The largest pork producer in the world is WH Holdings. But that doesn't get into the thinking, and it's just that sort of almost um, Western centricity uh, that sometimes I think we need to break beyond. Um, so I think one of the big things that we need to do in answering your question about uh, asset classes and the disposition of your assets is to break beyond, to start thinking outside of the comfortable uh, zone that we've all been part and parcel of and realize that there is something much bigger taking place on a global scale that goes beyond the familiarity of Western stock markets and Western asset classes. My final question and my final point is that I think that the mega fund managers around the world, the trillion dollar fund managers, are going to be looking at this and saying, I don't know, this is in my fantasy world. It'll all blow over and everything will get back to normal. And without um, being sycophantic here, I would say that a company like 91, medium-sized, I would say, is agile and nimble enough and has a history of being able to adapt to situations. Are you happy that you can at 91? Oh, yes, but uh, I'm not confident that we can. I'm happy that we are given the position, and I think given our, uh, our birthplace, given our history, uh, given our biases, we're probably well-equipped or better equipped than most to deal with this circumstance. Uh, I think I would be being, um, you know, uh, completely and utterly um, uh, overconfident were I to say we were going to nail the coming period. This is going to be tough for us, for our clients, uh, for our employees. Uh, this is going to be tough, and we have to think hard. Um, and I think that, interestingly, one or two of those really big asset managers actually, I think, maybe are thinking hard. They have, for instance, I think J.P. Morgan Asset Management has taken control of its asset management business in China in the midst of all of this because the Chinese have essentially allowed 100% ownership of asset managers in China. Yes. So I think there are one or two uh, that are thinking beyond. And it is this thinking beyond. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it, this is what we have to do at the moment. This is a seminal change in the history of the world. It's the, the seminal change in the history of finance. We now have pretty much every Western government able 
of any great stature, the main, main ones, able to borrow money at zero or less. Now, that just goes against the whole idea of ECOs or Finance 101, that the price of risk is determined by the yield on the 10-year bond of whatever country you happen to be part of. Yeah, if the price of risk is zero, that really does fundamentally change the basis upon which finance is built. And we need to think what that means. Yeah, the cost of capital, what does that mean in a world of zero interest rates? It really does require deep, hard thinking about the world beyond. Michael, keep on thinking beyond and go into that brave new world with a jaunty stride, if you will. That's Michael Power, investment strategist at 91 in Cape Town.